Sangin Podcast would like to appreciate everyone who has listened and watched our episode. On behalf of the podcast, we would like to encourage every one of you to follow and subscribe to us using whichever medium you choose to listen to us. This increases our outreach and makes us bring bigger and better guests for amazing stories. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Sangin Podcast. Today... We're going to talk about artificial intelligence. We're joined by the amazing Kowe Kadoma, all the way best in the U.S. Um, She's going to give us insights on artificial intelligence, how to use it effectively, debunk some theories about it. Um, Ms. Kowe, you're welcome to the podcast. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Um, Okay, first things first. Um, Who is Kowe? How do you introduce yourself? And the work you do. Yeah, I'm a PhD student at Cornell University um, in information science. And I always joke that information science is whatever you want it to be, as long as it looks at technology and people. And so my work is in human computer interaction and AI ethics. Okay. Um, let's talk about artificial intelligence. Um, Recently, there's been this wave of information that are saying that uh, AI is one of the reasons or the ways to which humans will go extinct, especially when we see some applications and robots become sentient um, while they can think on their own and do activities on their own. Um, in your view, what's your view about that? Let me first ask. Well, the robots, the robots are not sentient, I'll say that much. Yeah, but there's definitely, I feel as if there are two camps. There is like the AI hype, like AI is going to take over and, you know, we'll soon all be enslaved to the robots. Or sorry, that's also a little bit of AI doomsday. <laughs> um, I guess the AI doomsday is that we're going to be enslaved to the robots and AI hype is that the robots will do everything for us. So maybe we can just relax. Um I would say that I'm somewhere in the middle. It's a very nuanced issue, and I, I don't think it makes sense to paint with a, a broad brush. Um, I would say the challenge is that they're creating these foundation models that are so big, and then they're deployed in so many different contexts. Um, I guess to be succinct, I'm, I'm somewhere in the middle. Uh, so are you partly scared, if I would say so, about the advances in AI? I would say that I am cautiously optimistic. <laughs> Uh, okay. Um, recently, especially with firms like OpenAI that started things like ChatGPT and all that, um, there's been there's been this wave of people who think that um, <clears throat> maybe human effectiveness, like the way we do our work and everything, will be will be soon taken over by artificial intelligence. Um, in your in your view, especially using your research, um, is there a way we can it can be a win-win for both sides. Those that want humans to still be hands-on and those that believe AI will make our work simpler. I want to say that there is. I think, again, we talk about AI so broadly, and I think it can be very helpful in some contexts and very dangerous in other contexts. Um, I think a lot of work in AI fairness has looked at AI deployment in high um in high stakes settings, such as um, judicial decisions or healthcare decisions. And that truthfully terrifies me because there are instances where, you know, the algorithm says to do one thing and the human wants to do another. 
Um, or sometimes the human is just blindly following the algorithm. So I think in those instances, it can be, we need to be very, very clear about the capabilities of algorithms and AI. Um, but I think there are some instances where it does do, do good, right? For example, with weather, weather prediction, I think that has been a great advancement, right? We know more about the climate and how it's changing. I believe there are people who have used um, AI to figure out the different combinations of molecules. So it has led to um, advancements in some sciences. And I would say that's a good thing. If I go so far, um, tell me about your research and the work you do. Yeah, so I would say that my research looks at the people developing the algorithms and the people using the algorithms. I don't actually create or develop the algorithms myself. Um, I have one project that's looking at how AI pr practitioners or people in industry who are developing the algorithms, how they make decisions regarding AI fairness. And as part of that, as part of that project, we're looking at education um, as a possible intervention for algorithmic fairness. So we're using a course to teach people about the ethical considerations of the tools that they're building. Um, I have a project that I recently completed that examined how people use autocomplete suggestions in the workplace, specifically through the lens of inclusion and agency, which is really exciting. What I'm looking at is uh, regarding the motivations of people to use these uh, large language models, specifically in writing tasks and how those people will be perceived by others. But I don't want to dive into that too much since it's still work in progress. Nice, nice, nice. Are you also interested in natural language processing? Yeah, I've taken quite a few NLP courses and yeah, it's it's they're fun. I did my undergrad in computer engineering and within computer engineering, I think I was more EE focused. I really liked signal processing. So I kind of transitioned from like signal processing to NLP to HCI. So it's like a, I guess, language centered, but <laughs> progressively looking more at people and less on, on the system. Well, 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 I'm, I'm doing NLP. So it's nice knowing I'm talking to someone with a background in NLP. Hey, that's great. Yeah, I I feel I feel bad for the I guess the other people in CS because now NLP is getting so much attention <laughs> and I think they're a bit yeah, jealous. Yes. Um so let, let me just ask this question to you. According to you, what is AI? What's artificial intelligence? How would you define it in your way? Because there are many, many definitions going around and many people believe many things. Either it's just robots, it's a combination of robots and automation, either it's just anything in a computer. Yeah. Well, specifically when I think of AI, I think of generative AI, which at its heart of hearts is really just a big stats machine, right? It's just very good at predicting. These large language models, all they do is they're trained on a whole bunch of data and they find these patterns and they say, this word is the most likely to follow this other word. So uh, I think one way somebody described specifically large language models is they described it as a stochastic parrot. And I think that's quite funny, but that's that's how I view AI in a lot of these cases. It's just one big prediction machine. Mm, nice, nice. And <clears throat> should I say that you've always been inspired to do IT? It has been a passion or you just learned it along the way? No, I I feel as if I stumbled into it. I was really interested in law, actually. 
Um, I was really interested really? in the intersection. Yeah, I was interested in the intersection of law and tech. And I had the opportunity to intern at a law firm um, my last two years of high school. And I always knew I was going to do some sort of engineering in undergrad. And they actually told me you should do computer engineering because it's similar to double majoring in electrical engineering and computer science. Um, so that's what I, I did. I think prior to undergrad, I had done a little bit of programming experience, but I wasn't really thinking about AI at that time. Um, so yeah, it was, it was definitely a, a natural progression. It was not something that I always knew I wanted to do. Okay. And um, <clears throat> what are the critical areas in society where AI can play a pivotal role? Your research, you've said weather forecasting here and there, but which other areas of society do you think AI can play a critical role? Um, I guess, what do you mean by critical, like in, in high-stakes settings? Yeah, high-stakes settings. Hmm. I'm a bit reluctant to talk about high stakes settings, maybe because I get um, stressed and I've I, I've read quite a bit of when AI goes wrong in these high stakes settings. Yeah, I think one thing or one area where people are using AI quite a bit, I know the scientific community is using it quite a bit and it's changing the way how it's changing how we do research. Um, I gave the example earlier of how these AI models are finding new patterns for molecules. So um, drug development is now speeding up. Um, I also think in research, people are using large language models to annotate data, and they're also using them to help them write papers as well. So it's definitely speeding up the pace of research and innovation. Okay. And... You see, uh, right now, there's this lot of um, things of there's this geopolitical AI wars between China, currently where I am, and US, where you are. And, you know, they're kind of racing to supremacy of AI. Um, I just have two questions on that. Um, one, is this competition good for the development of AI? Personally, I'm of the mindset that good science comes from people who are intellectually driven and passionate about the work they do. So I don't think competition is necessary for that. Although one could look at history and see whenever there is some sort of um, conflict or tension, uh, a lot of advancements do come out of it. But I like to focus more on being a passionate and intellectually curious and driven person so you think that they should they should be working hand in hand rather than having this competitive um nature among themselves most definitely <laughs> i mean that's very it's very idealistic i i do realize that <laughs> but i i really i've benefited greatly from collaborators on my own projects um, and I, I like to believe that if we're all collaborative, if we're all passionate about the same things, then we can have good outcomes. Ah, okay. Um, then my second question is, is that um, due to this competition between China and the U.S., um, how do you think it's going to impact the growth of AI going forward in the future? I wish I knew. <laughs> <laughs> 
I wish I knew. I wish I had that magic eight ball and I could tell you the right answer. I AI is definitely growing very quickly and very rapidly. And unfortunately, a lot of the critical scholars are being ignored. Um, yeah, unfortunately, a lot of the critical work is, is, is being ignored. I, I think it's okay to grow, but we need to ask some serious questions about what our goals are and the consequences of the steps we take to pursue those goals, right? I think something that doesn't get enough um, recognition, just the climate impacts of large language models, for example, it takes a lot of energy to train large language models and to keep them running. Um, so we definitely need to think about, do we want to scale and what are the consequences of scaling these language models and having so many different types of language models? Uh, you've said something that uh, there are a lot of critical work is overlooked and uh, what do you mean? Yeah, I think there are scholars who aren't computer scientists. I, they come from more social science, um, STS, um, or history, and they talk about the way that these technologies may impact historically marginalized groups. They talk about um, the impact of AI on climate. Um, and I think a lot of that work does not get enough recognition. So mm. yeah, and some of these people are computer scientists by training and Maybe they've gotten some additional training in STS or philosophy or other social sciences. But I think right now they're getting exposure due to now, now like I earlier alluded to, there's that, there's that narrative that AI is now becoming dangerous. So you'd say that, okay, people are listening now. I don't know. I don't mm. know if people are listening. I think people are speaking up. I don't know if people are listening. Um. Then um, one of my final questions to you would be um, the country where we come from, Uganda, especially in sub-Saharan Africa. Um, artificial intelligence has, hasn't really penetrated within society that much compared to the West. And how do you think like we who have had the chance to study it here and abroad, if I would say, how best can we lead to the growth of AI back home? Yeah, that's a great question. My work particularly does not look at AI and what they call the global south. Um, but I'm really lucky to be at Cornell and to be in circles with really smart people who think about these topics. Um, one person in particular who comes to mind, her name is Chinasa Okolo, and she just graduated from Cornell with her PhD in computer science. And her work looks at explainable AI and the global south. So explainable AI is essentially how do we know that the AI model's decisions um, are correct or how do we rationalize those outcomes? Um, and one paper that she did, which was really cool, looked at how to design explainable AI for novice technology users in low resource settings. So in that work particularly, she was looking at um, rural, rural healthcare workers in India, but Chinasa has also done a lot of work in Africa as well um, regarding AI governance um, and um, AI literacy. So I would say go reference her and her work um, because that's usually what she thinks about. 
I a lot of my work, unfortunately, is um, US centric. Okay, uh, but would you want to eventually um, make an air revolution in Uganda? There are definitely things that I think about regarding not necessarily AI, but just computer science in general. Um, and Uganda, but I have not yet actualized those ideas or fully thought them out. <laughs> so when I do, you will be the first to know. Nice, nice, nice. Um, my final question to you would be, um, for someone who has um, who's looking up to having a career in AI and computer science, uh, both as a student and as a researcher, who's listening, um, what advice would you give them? Judging by would, experience. Yeah, I would say, you know, don't feel bad if you're not quote unquote technical enough. There are so many ways to get involved in AI. You can be a computer scientist who develops AI algorithms. You can be a lawyer or a policy expert who works on AI regulation, or you can be a philosopher or ethicist who does more critical work. You can be a social scientist who studies how people use AI. There are so many different ways to get involved. Um, but if you do want to build that technical expertise, there are free courses online uh, or on YouTube that can teach you programming fundamentals, but also just um, give you a, a broad overview of like what AI is, how it works, different types of models, different types of algorithms. And that's actually how I first got into programming. I used to build web pages on Tumblr back when that was very popular. And I eventually progressed into building AI frameworks. So there are many different ways to get involved. Um, pick something that's very interesting to you and um, go network. Go find people who you really enjoy their work. Uh, maybe reach out ask if they have um, any resources available or if you could possibly intern with them. There are just so many different ways to get involved. So don't be afraid to put yourself out there. Nice, nice, nice. Sometimes it can be scary though when you put yourself out there when you're not that good. It is very scary and that's how I feel in my PhD, but I still put myself out there and good things have come. So it'll, it'll work out. <laughs> You're living testament eh? to let's I, just do it. Look, I really am. <laughs> ah, thank you so much. Thank you so much, Koi, for passing by and uh, giving us some insights on AI and how it works. Really appreciate it. Yeah, my pleasure. It was an honor to be here.